House of Bob is sponsored by Legend 7 Brewing. Based in our hometown of Calgary, Alberta, these guys do a ton to keep us online and keep beers in our fridge. Thanks for listening. Last time on House of Annihilation, the crew of the High Havoc fought tooth and nail with the monstrous King of Feathers, losing one of their own. I'm Dan. I'll be playing Liani, Liana, Servana, the Elf Beastmaster. My name's Alex, and I'll be playing as Horik Jones, the Human Fighter. I'm Christina, and I'm playing Douglas, the Ganassi Evoker. And I'm Sean, your Dungeon Master. If you like what you hear, you can support House of Bob and help us grow by reviewing us on iTunes, buying merch from our Etsy store, or even just telling your friends about us. Roll on. The ship rocks, slowly cantering from starboard to port, and in the distance, a thin strip of land bobs in and out of view. Cranston sits in the crow's nest, hat on his knee, sweat on his brow, and a bottle in his hands. As he sits and stares, taking the occasional sip from the bottle, feeling the fiery burn running down his throat, the sun sets. Soon, he sits in darkness. It's then that the medallion hanging around his neck grows cold, cold like ice. The antlers of Bashaba prick at his chest like little needles. I missed you. A breathy voice whispers to him. I thought you'd never call on me again. Cranston stays silent and lifts to pull another sip from his bottle. It's empty. He drops it off the crow's nest edge and it shatters on the deck below. There's no shout or reply from there. His crew is all gone. Oh, poor boy the voice whispers, as pressure, like massaging fingers, grasp his shoulders. You're all alone. You gambled with the best and you lost, but now they've left you. Below, the empty ship deck stands vigil. Ropes hang from limp sails. The rudder wheel slowly spins, ushered by the wind, its steering mechanism broken. Below decks, in the hold, empty hammocks dangle above bare footlockers. Lamps hang unlit. Where there should be crates or cargo, or in barrels of booty, there is just bare floor. Cranston picks up his hat, broad-brimmed and red. The voice, Bishaba's voice, whispers to him again, taunting. You're alone now, Cranston, sweetie. Except for me. You'll always have me. There will be times when you have friends, and times when you don't. But even when they fail you, or you fail them, you'll have me. Cranston squeezes his eyes shut, not wanting to hear, not wanting to see, not wanting to believe the terrible misfortune that has befallen him. The camera zooms tight into his grimacing face, and he opens his eyes and he is somewhere else. The crow's nest, the ship, the wind, the twilight sky, and the twinkling stars are gone. He reaches out and feels a rough stone wall. He stands and puts his hands against the wall and starts following its surface. It curves around to the left and he takes a few steps along it. Following it, he finds that the wall isn't going anywhere, turns around in a circle, and as his eyes adjust to the dark, he realizes that he's back where he started, against the wall in a stone cylinder only eight feet across. There's no door, no window. Cranston calls out. He calls for Lee, and Horik, and Douglas. There's no reply. He clutches the medallion around his neck. He calls out for Bashaba. For tense moments that seem like hours, he waits and listens and hears nothing. 
Bishaba cannot hear him here. And then, with a sound like stone grinding against stone, a light appears above him. A crescent moon of an opening appears in the ceiling overtop. A giant black form with two pinpoint green eyes peers into the opening. Glowing green eyes that appear to be both millions of miles away and inside his own head at the same time. Oh, good. Cackles a vicious, unearthly voice, ringing in Cranston's ears like it's the first sound he's ever heard. More fish for the stew. Eat up, my baby. Eat up. <laughs> <laughs> Horik, Lee, and Douglas, the remaining members of the High Havoc crew and their wizard friend, stand in the amphitheater of Omu, all surrounding the body of their fallen companion, Cranston Thorn. Horik, how are you feeling? Horik is crushed. It's the second member of his crew to die and he feels responsible. If he had been faster or stronger, that he might have been able to prevent it. Lee, what are you thinking? Lee's pretty angry. She feels like she didn't sign up for this kind of mission. The idea was just to return something that we had previously found. This is going way beyond our initial mission, and the fact that we're losing so many people is really starting to make her mad. Lee, being a pirate before, probably driven by risk versus a reward, right? Yeah, I'm starting to lose the goal of the mission, I think. What's the reward out of this? Mm-hmm. There's plenty of downside. Yeah, and I have yet to see the upside. Douglas, second new friend. <laughs> no, my friends! And, and beyond that, your original adventuring party. Mm-hmm. All have been lost to the jungle. Yeah. It's bad for Douglas. He's feeling one of two ways. He feels really upset, actually, because Cramston and him had a pretty good time with the frog people and making that statue <laughs> turn to life. And that was like, that was some good times. But also, selfishly, he's scared for himself because of these people who have had years of adventure training <laughs> are dying out. He has no hope right now. You still feel like a little bit of a newbie compared to these guys. Oh, yeah. Huh. A newbie and also just the fact that now death is final. Unless we can figure this out really fast, he's so screwed. Hmm. Well, along with your mourning comes a little bit of that reward, a little bit of, of growth for all of you because you are now level six. With a little bit of sobriety, we will continue forward and learn all about your new cool shit. Douglas, let's start with you. What, what does level six mean? Well, for Douglas. it does mean more hit points. Let's Whoa. roll them. All right. I got my D6. I got my D6. Five. I also rolled a five. Nice. Putin cantrips. When a creature succeeds on a saving throw against your cantrip, the creature takes half the cantrip damage, if any, but suffers no additional effect from the cantrip. Cool. Awesome. That's always good just to be able to get any amount of damage yeah. on a miss. Even a little bit can save a life. Totally, totally. A life like Cranston. And then probably some extra spells, but you probably want to keep those in your pocket for now. I'm yeah, guessing. I don't want you to know. All right. <laughs> <laughs> right. Liani in town. Mm -hmm. What's what's level six like for a Beastmaster? It's stupid. <laughs> <laughs> There's literally nothing good. Yeah, not even any hit points. You can cast alarm one points. more time a day. <laughs> yeah. Alarm. No, I can't. Double alarm. <laughs> I wish. Ma mass alarm. Yeah. Now, yeah. Mass alarm. Yeah. So hit points, you're a D10? D10, yeah. Okay. Three. Two. Oh, <laughs> those were garbage for me. <laughs> yeah, I rolled really low last level, too. You did. Guess Liani's just not taken well to the 
No, the forest. She's, no. she's not feeling well. I get stupid stuff like Natural Explorer and new favorite enemy. Ooh, <laughs> who's your you new have, favorite? Who's enemy? your favorite enemy gonna be? Undead. Undead. And who is? What was your previous favorite enemy? Mm. <laughs> it was. It undead. came up a lot. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get back to you. No problem. So Natural Explorer, favorite enemy. Horik. What about you? You get some hit points too, don't you? Yep. Not a lot of other stuff goes on at level six. Just a couple ability scores. That's it. D10 it up. Seven. Ten. Nice. Uh, you bastard. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hella jacking Cranston for his shield. <laughs> Taking Cranston's shield. Nice. He would have wanted it that way. It makes sense. What else you got? Cranston's yeah, Cranston. body. Oh, I'm dead. <laughs> I can't talk. He definitely had that wand of secrets. Mm-hmm. I should probably take that. Why? I'm the one that uses magic. Yeah, but it's sentimental to me. Oh, is it? Mm, was it do? <laughs> was it? Tell me. Anybody can use a wand. It's just an activation word. Oh. Yeah. He also had a magical loot, if I recall correctly, or a mandolin nope. or something. No? No, it's just regular, regular old loot and drum. There's the wand. There was obviously the puzzle cube, which you should definitely yes. take. He had some of that poison coral. You probably want that. Yeah, I thought I had all of it. I had some too. You took some too? Oh, and his most valuable possession, a bag of a thousand steel ball bearings. You never ended up using those, no. did you? <laughs> that would have been the perfect time. I feel like if anything, because you died, it should have spilled out. <laughs> yeah, the teeth probably ripped it. So uh, now there's only like 34 ball bearings left. <laughs> wow. <laughs> out of a thousand? <laughs> out of a thousand. Yeah. They're all mixed in with the poop and mud. What about the king of feathers? Yeah. He's got to have something good on him. Yeah, does anything have gold on it? You might have to look around. For reals. I look around. <laughs> you are you are here in the amphitheater, right in the arena area. You got a dead king of feathers. Mm-hmm. You got a bunch of dead Denonicus. You've got a uh, pulpy Cranston. <laughs> Unnecessary detail, but thank you. <laughs> Just nice you, to be mentioned. You've got some mounds of dinosaur feces. Perfect. I stick my arms in them immediately. <laughs> Roll a D100. 14. You find this big platter. In the poop? In the poop. Yeah. <laughs> it's maybe about 14 inches across, kind of ovular, made out of electrum mm. and inscribed with images of Chilton feasting rituals. Cool. Oh my God. Probably worth like 25 gold. Sick. Yeah. If Four- I live, that'll be great. <laughs> 14 inches across. That is a huge butthole. It's a huge dinosaur. You guys also see that in the amphitheater itself, there's a bunch of alcoves that lead into a network of halls and tunnels behind and beneath it, and you're welcome to explore that. You saw the King of Feathers when he first teleported out, came like, from did there, his like, yeah. feather form out. He came from the central arch of the amphitheater. I'm definitely going to take some of those feathers. They're probably magical. Sure. I just want to take it as like a prize for our kill. Yeah. Write it down. I can start using them for feathers for my uh, arrows. Ooh. Big fletchings. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so wobbly. They're, they're <laughs> dinosaur-killing arrows. There you go. But I'm going to spend the next while wrapping up Cranston's body. Sure. But I don't want to burn him. Okay. Like we did last time. I'm thinking that we're so close to discovering the potential cure for this. It's a possibility that we might be able to bring Cranston back at some point. Okay. After wrapping him up, I'm going to start looking around and trying to find some sort of little safe haven that we can tuck his body in and make a little tomb out of or something. Cool. You guys do a bit of exploring around here. There's lots of rubble that you could use to build a cairn over top of him. Mm-hmm. There's lots of hidden areas within the amphitheater that you could hide him in. Aside from the Denonicus that were here and aside from the Tyrannosaurus, obviously, you don't have a lot of animals that are around this area. So maybe its smell is warding them off. Mm-hmm. So that might be a good spot. Okay. 
Yeah, we'll just build some stones over him and that kind of thing. Tuck him up against a wall or something. Okay. Do you want to look where the dinosaur came from? His, like, nest area? Yep, let's get in there. You head into the nest area. There's just piles of crushed and bloodied bones all around in these big circular piles of bones around what looks to be just a mass of palm fronds and tree branches and leaves that it looks like the King of Feathers has arranged. Sticking out of it is a bunch of these big four-foot-long parrot-colored feathers. And you see right in the base of it, as if arranged there like a clutch of eggs, you see a pile of treasure. What do you see in there, nothing. Lee? Oh, there's okay. nothing here, Doug. Cool. <laughs> I'm going to take your word for that. No, Douglas, there's treasure. Oh, cool. Treasure abound. I mean, treasure's great if you're still alive, but... Ouch. All right. I flip a coin towards Cranston. It wasn't a dig on Cranston. It's just more like I don't feel <laughs> well, like we're going to live through this oh, campaign. It definitely sounded like a dig, considering one of us just died. Cranston. God. <laughs> Always dying. <laughs> Way to stay alive and help the party. Yeah. First thing you see is an Omuin death mask made out of gold. Whoa. Scattered in amongst all of this treasure, you see 10 gems of various qualities and makes. You'd estimate their value to be around a thousand gold altogether. Damn. There is a helmet made out of gold and silver, the top of which has this silver and black coiled pattern to it that sort of looks like a brain. And over the eye holes of this half mask helmet are gems that cover the eyes. Almost looks like an owl design Mm. on the front. Uh, Definitely looks uh, very, very interesting to you. I'm going to put it on. Okay. No arcana check needed, right, guys? That's good. I don't have it. <laughs> oh, we're definitely screwed then. Okay. <laughs> you can tell as soon as putting it on, it absolutely feels magical. Can I see through it? You can see through it. Huh. Uh, and your view of the world around you is not obscured in any way, which is very strange considering that these crystals cover your eyes. And you, after putting it on, can sort of hear this faint murmuring coming from a couple different directions. Oh, shit. But it's going to take you some time to kind of attune to it and see what it can actually do. All right. Douglas, how do I look? Ah, girl, you look stunning. Mm -hmm. Yes, queen. (laughs) (laughs) There's also a eight inch long rod with a handle and ends in a curved blade. The blade itself about two inches long, almost like a letter opener, but the blade itself is inscribed with all these arcane symbols. Definitely looks very interesting. As soon as you guys pick it up, it feels like it has this hot power to it. Okay. I can't use anything beyond like a a short sword or a long sword. And this one seems to give off some sort of heat, maybe some extra fire damage or something. Horik takes it and nestles into his pack. His arsenal. Sorry, it definitely definitely seems like more of a wand than a than a All right, Douglas, I think this is for you. And (laughs) (laughs) he picks it out of Horik's backpack and (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Finally there are a pair of boots with a leaf-like pattern, two giant leaves wrapped around and sewn into each other in order to create these really soft and supple boots. Definitely some sort of elven make. That sounds cool. Does anyone want to try them on? Boots can't really do any harm. We'll just see if you run faster or something. (laughs) Horik likes to run fast, so he tries the boots on to see how they fit. A little bit tight at first, but then they sort of adjust to the size of your foot. You take a couple test steps and... You guys oddly notice that his steps make no sound. Oh, Hork Moover's going to get so fucked up. <laughs> He's a wizard. 
I know wizards and he is definitely a wizard. (laughs) (laughs) I'm okay if you guys take a long rest. We can identify these and then we can move along to whatever your next thing's going to be. Douglas, you should put on the gold mask. Okay. We're all just going to wear this stuff. You just put it right on my face (laughs) and I'm like, oh, okay. (laughs) Whoever spends the rest attuning to it, that's theirs until you guys do another rest. So so if Douglas is doing it, that's fine. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Okay. So you find that the helm is a helm of telepathy. Whoa. While wearing this helm. I pick up... uh, town with the helm. No, not telekinesis. <laughs> oh. You pick up town with your sweet lines. Hey, hey baby. baby. Helm of telepathy. While wearing this helm, you can use an action to cast the detect thoughts spell with a save DC of 13. As long as you maintain concentration on the spell, you can use a bonus action to send a telepathic message to a creature you are focused on. It can reply using its own bonus action to do so while your focus on it continues. While focusing on a creature with Detect Thoughts, you can use an action to cast the Suggestion spell, also DC 13, from the helm on that creature. Once used, the Suggestion property can't be used again until next dawn. Cool. Very cool. The wand is a wand of the War Mage plus one. While holding this wand, you gain a plus one bonus to spell attack rolls. In addition, you ignore half cover when making spell attacks. Whoa. That's dope. It's pretty good. And finally, the boots, boots of elven kind. While you wear them, your steps make no sound, regardless of the surface you are moving across. You also have advantage on dexterity stealth checks that rely on moving silently. Damn. What's mine do? My helmet thing? The helm of telepathy that Douglas stole from you. I didn't steal it. No, you said it was a golden mask. (laughs) Oh, the Omuin mask made of gold? Yeah. Uh, That's just a piece of That's just money. Money in the bank. Probably worth something like 250 gold. Hmm. You might want the helm of telepathy because I do already have that helm of intellect or whatever headband. Oh, sure, I plop that bad boy on. Yeah, that's right. You I can't have just one, one I, piece of headgear. As much as I want to, I can't just pile on hats on my head. This isn't Team Fortress. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> nice. Nice. Got, Got him, Valve. <laughs> <laughs> Yesterday, you guys finished camping out after talking to Kozef. You went to the entrance of the Tomb of the Nine Gods inspecting the obelisk there and the entrance which you determined to be a false entrance heavily trapped itself and you guys were thinking about ways to use it for yourself after that you came to the amphitheater cranston dies mm-hmm. you find some treasure you've done a long rest it is now the next morning you said that you would meet kozef tomorrow so you have today to do whatever you're going to do okay let's go to that temple all right so you're making your way across the city once again and you get yourself to Nang Nang Shrine. Up ahead of you, monoliths adorned with prancing frog-like figures rise from the swamp. Beyond, a ruined edifice shaped like an arrowhead squats in the muddy water. Bushes and trees grow from its roof. At the pointed front of the building, steps ascend to the stone door caked in slime. You all see, just barely peeking out of the swamp water, the heads of several dozen grung. Living Grung? Living Grung, and they are watching you. Hork waves and says, hello. (laughs) And they're like, oh, I didn't see that guy or hear him. (laughs) (laughs) The response that you get is a bit of a, a lumbering. Oh, God. As from behind the edifice, four orange skinned Grungs on the back of a Hadrosaurus come around to the front. Those of you who don't know what a Hadrosaurus is, 
I will Google it really quickly. I also forgot what a grong is. A grong is the frog people. Oh, uh, yes. Okay. A hadrosaurus is sort of like a duckbill dinosaur. Oh. With the, with the okay. fringe coming off the back of its head. There's a number of grung warriors seated on his back. How did we communicate them previously? I was able to talk to them. You were able to use comprehend languages. Mm -hmm. Okay. And they could understand you? Or was it only a one-way street? It was a one-way street. I could understand them. They couldn't specifically understand me. Now might be a good time to turn that bad boy on. Well, you're in luck. Hey, baby. (laughs) (laughs) As I remembered how they talk. (laughs) No, uh, Douglas gives them the guns because I can't talk to them. Yeah, Douglas is doing a bit of sign language trying to communicate with them. Mm -hmm. The grungs start to emerge from the water and and some of them turn their attention up towards the ruin where a huge, not huge, he's small, (laughs) but he's big for a grung with a gold skin color with these ritualistic tattoos all over his body, holding this giant stone dagger at his side and he big feather headdress coming off the back of his head. This gold-skinned grung steps out. This guy looks more impressive than the king we saw the first time, right? Yeah, this guy actually looks like he could handle himself. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> That's he, important to know. <laughs> he, he lifts the dagger up, waves it across in an arc towards you, and begins to speak. You translate this to be You strangers, you come here to my home seeking my treasure. I tell you to leave. You will not have it. It is mine. Horik raises his two hands up and takes two steps back. The Grung, watching you, hold their weapons at their sides. They're not making any aggressive movements. And they see you step back and some of the lower-cased warriors breathe the sigh of relief as you step back. Yorb again mutters a bunch of grung words, which Douglas translates to be, Go, don't come back. You are not worthy of the treasure. It is ours. I tell you again, this will be your final warning. You must leave this place. Can we offer them that mask that we found? The one that's only worth money? I was thinking of using my helm, because I can use suggestion with it. Yeah. Oh. Go for it, buddy. First thing you have to do is you have to cast Detect Thoughts. Yeah. He's going to make a saving throw against that. Yep. DC 13. Oh. Which he succeeds on. Okay. He got a 14. Um, Bastard. Fortunately, because it's part of the Helm's magic, you haven't made a bunch of somatic components or anything like that. He doesn't know that you're trying to... Probe him. Probe his mind. Mm -hmm. And you're still at that standstill. Okay. Orvex, do you speak ground? Uh, No, I... speak with the I only speak Omuin. What are the chances the Grung speak, Omuin? I mean, I can try. (laughs) And he goes, and and he steps one step forward, hands up, (laughs) and he goes... We should tell him what to say before. (laughs) We will kill you all! I'll try try to just give them greetings. Okay. And and see if they will parlay with us. The Grung takes a startled half-step back and then looks into the ruin behind him. You can see that he's talking to someone in the darkness, and then he turns back and steps to the side, and two taller figures, medium size, step out of the darkness. It's the first one that comes out tall, rippled with muscle. He looks human, but his skin is covered with these super shiny, steel-hard scales. He has this snake-like appearance to his face, 
wielding a great sword at his side. So he doesn't look really like a grung at all, then? This guy is not a grung. Okay. He is something else entirely. Weird that they're following, like, a different master. I feel like, what, what, what did you tell them, Orvex? He just, <laughs> just said, he just said greetings and parlay. And then a second figure steps up behind him. What does he look like, Jake? You see a human, or sorry, not human, a humanoid, I mean to say, man. He's got a thin, tall head with very tight skin. You can see the cheekbones and things like that. And the skin has a faint, dark green tint to it. And he's wearing heavy armor that is covered in dirt and mud and little dents. Looks like it's well used, as well as a war hammer in one hand and a, a heavy shield in the other. Damn. And I look at my new shield and I'm like, oh. <laughs> <laughs> the first uh, steps forward and speaks. You are the adventurers from Port Nyanzaru. Yep. I am Sekilok, one of the emissaries of Raznesi. Hey, Sekilok. You come seeking the puzzle cube. That's correct. Jake, what's your character's name? Crate. This is Crate, one of the speakers for Fantaza, the nightmare speaker. Jeez. Together, we will take you to the fane of the night serpent. You will there treat with Rasnasi. He has something to ask of you. Sounds great. <laughs> Sounds above our level. <laughs> Isn't this the big bad? <laughs> no. Rasnasi. We learned about mm-hmm. Rasnasi in the temple with the oracle. She told us the story of Rasnasi. Uh, something about like snake people and he was like the hero of the Omuans, but uh, fell from favor, I, I think. Well, what we learned in the Oracle was that he um, he did some kind of ritual in order to please uh, the, the Night Serpent. And he's created an army of undead. You know, all the undead that you've encountered so far were basically because of him. Were they under his command or yes. created by and under his until he was defeated? by the citizens of Mesro, and he fled into the jungle. His undead army became lost to him and now is just roaming free, and he went to the Yuan-Ti to gain power, and they transformed him into a Yuan-Ti malice. So it would not be wise to keep him waiting. Okay. Sekulak, how did you hear about us? Raznasi keeps an eye on all that traverse the jungle. Right. His many eyes have seen you as you've traveled. Like in a good way? Douglas smiles at him, <laughs> hopefully. More at, finger guns, yeah. At the very least, you have interested him. Crate says, you've proven yourself capable fighters, and that is of interest to the UNT. Mark says, okay, take us to him. Yeah, take us to your leader. <laughs> as the UNT descend the stairs towards you, Chief Yorb of the grung calls after them very angrily. Oh, blah, 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 blah. You translate it to, hold on. We were told we were going to get something out of this. They have to make tribute. I take out the gold mask and just throw it to him. <laughs> 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 and I just like skip across the ground a couple times. <laughs> it clatters to the ground in front of you. Keep the change, you filthy animal. <laughs> <laughs> Thank God he can't understand that. <laughs> he picks up the death mask and nods. <laughs> Sekulok and Crate lead you through a warren of alleys 
through the swamp of Omu and eventually leading you within the walls of the royal palace, which is that huge circular wall that you saw within the city towards the central building, this tall megalithic ziggurat and to a door in the base of it. It's guarded, you can see, by a number of Yuan-Ti that stand uh, almost camouflaged into the jungle around it, all wielding spears or other such weapons, and they take you down into the depths of the Fane of the Night Serpent. I'm just going to describe what you see as you go through, as they take you to his uh, uh, Rasnasi's chambers. First thing you see, a wide passage slopes down to a set of bronze doors. Coiled serpents decorate the metal with a sliding hatch at head height. Four-inch wide holes pierce the base of each door. You can see they're probably stab holes or spear holes. Through there, you walk into the Hall of War. Four pillars carved with serpent relief support the 20-foot-high ceiling of this large room, in the middle of which is an 18-foot-high statue of a coiled cobra facing towards you. Torches with green flames flicker on the walls, and the air here reeks of dung. Two wagons are parked in one corner, and a triceratops is confined to a metal pen in another. Do I recognize it? It's Zongo. <gasps> Zongo! Zongo! <laughs> you people know this triceratops? Yeah, he carried uh, Horace Ladder. We don't just know him. We've ridden him. <laughs> <laughs> ridden him hard. Through the bars of his cage, you can see Zongo recognizes you as well and is nudging up against the bars, Aww. trying to nuzzle against you, but he's held back. I look around for his masters. Around you, you don't see Farul or Gondolo. Instead, you see a number of Yonti and these weird bipedal lizard creatures that are hanging out with two of the Yonti. And chained against a wall on the opposite side are two basilisks. Mm. Crocodile-like lizards. You are probably starting to get a little bit worried about how many enemies you're seeing. But you can see that they're also in a bit of a state of alarm. The Yonti are whispering to each other, and as you're being taken through, one of them comes up and begins to whisper to Sekalok. Sekalok gives a curt order, and the Yonti runs off back towards the far hallway, while Sekalok and Crate take you to the left. Here you can see in this narrower hallway that the Yonti are rushing back and forth. There appears to be something going on, some sort of panic is happening, and as they take you towards this larger hall in the distance you are interrupted by another Yuan-Ti. This one looks like a beautiful Omuan woman garbed in orange flowing ribbons. Her lower half of her body is that of a huge anaconda. Whoa. Whoa. <laughs> she slithers up to you, says to Sekulok, I would speak to your prisoners for a moment. Wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> oh, did like you guys that. not know? <laughs> No, we thought we were on the buddy system here. <laughs> yeah, not cool, Crate. <laughs> Bad start. You can see this moment pass between them where Sekulok has this intense hatred in his eyes for her. And he's got this suspicion about him. However, after a moment of locking eyes with her and this battle of wills passes between them, he nods and steps further along the hallway into the next chamber. The woman introduces herself to you. I am Fenthaza, the nightmare speaker of this fane. Crate does the appropriate the hand gesture or bowing or whatever is appropriate to a person of her stature. Thank you for escorting them here, Crate. I'm Lee, not a prisoner. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Came of my own volition. I'm glad you think so. <laughs> I'm Horik. I'm also not a prisoner. We shall see. 
Uh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm Douglas. Nice to meet you. I'm also not a prisoner. Really? What? <laughs> oh. Well, <laughs> I thought we were all arresting Douglas. <laughs> I cannot save you from Rasnasi's hatred. He knows that you are trying to delve into the tomb of nine gods. I would see you enter that place if you can help me. I can help you. We're helping a lot of people. <laughs> what's up with you? Yeah, what's in it for you? Deep within the tomb is an artifact known as the Black Opal Crown. I have dreamt of it, seen it there. It is something that is of great importance to me. Rasnasi is afraid of what the tomb holds, but I know that we can harness its power. He will challenge you, he will attempt to frighten you off, and he will attempt to change you. I will not let him do these things if you support me in what is to come. What would you do with the Black Opal Crown? I will end the world. Oh. Hmm. <laughs> Creek that... gets a little excited. <laughs> <laughs> I mean... Where are we? Yeah. <laughs> We're being asked to retrieve this. That is correct. I know that you guys have found a little bit out about the Yonti as you've gone, but feel free right now to roll an Arcana or History check. Orvex will do so as well. And Fenthaza gives you a moment to whisper to yourselves. Douglas got a 10. I'm like, I don't know. 11 for Lee. 22 for Horik. Whoa, wow. shit. Jeez. Horik's got some brains on him. Horik's yeah, he's got some, some arcana. Yeah. He's got some arcana. Horik, once upon a time, you were in a city called Luskon, which is also known as the City of Sails. It's a hive of scum and villainy on the Sword Coast. And you met a group of brigands that were part of a cult. They, too, spoke of the Black Opal Crown. And there was a rumor that if it were to be found, it would be able to awaken something called the Dark Snake or the Night Snake. Night Serpent, perhaps? Sounds familiar to you. This cult, you think, probably reaches further than just Lascon, and you've found now another sect of cultists devoted to Dendar the Night Serpent. I mean, you don't make a great argument. (laughs) (laughs) It is that you enter the tomb without hindrance, with my support even, or you refuse Rasnasi and he attempts to make you a slave, or worse. We have much worse than slaves. Be turned into a strange snake creature and forced to work in the pits. I lean over to Lee. I'm like, I think we made a mistake. Yeah. <laughs> no one asked you, Crate. <laughs> God. Uh, we do not wish to see that happen to you. We wish to see you suffer in the end times, not now. <laughs> All right. Fine. Later is better than now, so I'm in. <laughs> yeah. With, with our support, Resnacy will not be able to touch you. We will lead you through the Thane, and you will reach your destination mm. in the Temple of the Nine Gods. I guess later is future Douglas's problem. <laughs> future Douglas will worry about that. Now Douglas will worry about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, Future Douglas won't think now Douglas, though, later. No, probably That was hard to say. (laughs) (laughs) You go through this hallway, and you enter into a huge, huge room. This appears to be a massive underground cathedral opening up before you. At one end, a sculptured balcony perches atop five rearing stone serpents. Blood dribbles from the serpent's jaws and falls into a semicircular basin. From there, it flows along a sloped trough to a wide stone bowl setting the floor. South of the bowl is a mezzanine prominently situated atop which is a cauldron of steaming broth that exudes a fleshy odor. 
to the west, there's a huge gong carved with snake patterns standing on a second balcony. You are led down to the northwest corner of the room to a set of double doors. You definitely notice as you go past that cauldron that there are body parts inside. You are taken through those double doors and into another room with four huge pillars supporting a vaulted ceiling. Steps ascend to your left to an iron throne carved in the likeness of a hydra. Painted on the wall behind it is a large blue triangle. To the south, an engraved stone disc is set into the floor of an alcove. A ten-foot-wide opening in the east wall leads to a flooded cave. On the throne sits this muscular man with dark skin. The bottom half of his body, a red pit viper's curled tail. You see that scales on his body are flaking. You see his arms and his face are wrapped in bandages. At his side, a massive gleaming longsword. Sekalok has taken his place beside him, and you see more of those twisted, bipedal reptilian guards standing around the room, waiting to see what happens. As Crate positions you in the middle of the room to speak to Raznasi, Penthaza follows behind with more Yonti. Raznasi lifts his head, looks at you, sort of a bleary look in his eyes. First he begins to speak in Omu, and seeing that you don't respond, switches to common. I have seen you travel through the jungle for many weeks. You come seeking the tomb, and I tell you that you cannot enter. Uh, Why? (laughs) (laughs) But we came so far. Yeah, I know. You've seen us traveling for this purpose. You have come far only to meet failure, only to meet the great Raznasi. We haven't failed thus far. We're here. Two man down, but we're here. (laughs) Yeah, we're doing pretty good so far. We thought we'd be dead by now. (laughs) Raznasi is helped from his throne by Sekalok. There, standing before you, he holds his sword at his side. He says, The tomb, Asarak. I I promised Asarak that no one would enter the tomb. He will bring us great power if you are not allowed in. I cannot let you. Instead, I offer you to join us. You will see the end of the world from our view. You will be one of us, immortal mortal in rule over all others under Dendar. You definitely get the sense that his mind is clouded. He looks like he's in a great amount of pain. Make a medicine check. 18 for Lee. 19 for Hork. God damn it, Hork. Just 12. For Douglas. <laughs> Hork's good at everything right yeah. now. Hork and Lee, who spent time along with their friend on the High Havoc, are recognizing signs of the death curse. Okay. I don't even know if you're going to make it to the end of the world in your condition. What do you mean? You have the curse, do you not? We've seen this in multiple people, and one of them already has been taken by it. The end times are near. This is just a sign. Dendar is preparing me. Have you been revived before? Or uh, resurrected before? I was given second life. Okay, then you're going to die probably pretty quick. What are you talking about? I'm sure your undead have seen it throughout the land. The undead curse on everything. You know, the... The The death curse. Yeah, the death curse. No babies born. Yeah, you've seen rotten eggs and stuff and no new child. The harbinging of of Dendar. He is is preventing that. He is not allowing them to come back. He's 
Preventing you then, too. He's eating the souls of, of the dead and the unborn. Yeah, people who have died already are part of those souls. No, I am his faithful servant. This cannot be true. I won't let it be true. And then he raises his sword up, and it ignites in flame. He swings it down, points at the three of you. Sakalok! Frantaza! These are heretics, and we will slay them. Oh, no. <laughs> Roll initiative. <laughs> oh, shit. Don't Guess we weren't supposed to bring it up. <laughs> Somebody's in denial. Okay. Douglas. Two. All right. Okay. Nine for Horik. Nine for Horik. Lee. 23 for Lee. And Crate. 16, eager to get in there. We're going to start it off with Lee. I just want to add, for flavor's sake, that both factions of the Yonti have these bipedal lizard brood guard creatures, and they're kind of like ferocious dog-like, lizard-like creatures, and there's about four of them on each side, and they're just going straight for each other like dogs in a pit fight. They're adding ambient noise around you, and they're fighting each, they're other. Fighting each other, oh, Okay, and that is kind of your first indication that, holy fuck... I'm in the middle of something big here. Uh, yeah. We it, got into the middle of something. We're in a gang else. war. <laughs> yeah. And if, we're an issue. Yeah. If Raznasi gets his way, he wants to turn you into one of those creatures. Those little dog men. Oh, they're cute. <laughs> <laughs> you might not think so as not you as, go through the process. Yeah, not as cute as I am right now. So <laughs> no. I exactly. see it as a negative. You're pretty adorable. Yeah. Downgrade. So Lee, you are first. You in town. Jump to action. Raznasi and Sekulok are coming straight for you. There's yeah. two Yonti Malisons in front of you and Horik. And Douglas is right behind you. I feel like I'm the one who personally angered Rasnasi. Oh, did you? I, so... I would agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just going to take out my short swords. Okay. And I'll take a strike at the Yonti Malisons. All right, go for it. That's a one. I'll take another swing, though. Okay. It's a 26. 26 hits. Seven damage. Is Town doing anything? He's going to do his bite attack. Okay. 19 on the die. And 19 on the die will hit. Five damage from the bite. You give him a bit of a slash across the arm. Town goes in, bites at the calf. And this Yonti with the big snake head and a human body and a long sword is going to attack you back. A 16 to hit Yuli with a scimitar. Yep. Four damage. And then it's going to bite you. Oh, no. 21 to hit. Yep. The bite. And you will take... Four piercing damage and ten poison damage as his venomous fangs oh, clamp yeah. into your shoulder. The other Yonti Malison in front of Horik is going to do the same thing. Slash with a scimitar. Seventeen to hit. That hits. Six slashing damage. And then bite with a miss. Jaws just snap like a cobra right beside your face. Rasmus C is going to take his turn. He will start... By waving the sword in the air, his other hand is making these arcane gestures, and he points his blade at Douglas. Go ahead and make a wisdom saving throw. 18 plus 5. You save just as you feel these invisible, constricting binds starting to wind themselves around your body. You slip out of them with your own couple of arcane gestures, casting them off. Uh, he had been casting hold person on you. Aww. He just wanted to hug me. <laughs> just wanted to give you a nice, nice hug. Finally, Sekalok steps up to Horik and is going to multi-attack with his greatsword. 
17 to hit. That hits. 18 to hit. Hits. 15 Just hits. So three hits. 17 damage on the first hit. On the first hit. Fuck off. <laughs> 19 damage on oh the second God. hit. And 14 damage on the third hit. He's this huge bruiser of a man, almost rivaling Horik's size, and just, it is Crate's turn. Crate is stoked that this is finally happening. <laughs> that finally the weak, rotting Rasnasi will be put out of the picture, and Finthaza can finally properly bring about the Night Serpent. And he is going to cast Spirit Guardians. Shit. Tell me about Spirit Guardians. In a 15-foot radius around him. Mm-hmm. The ground is filled with these spirit snakes that just slither everywhere and start biting and snapping at his opponents. So I can choose any number of people to not be affected by it. I will choose these, uh, my minions now. Yeah. Over here. (laughs) (laughs) Oh. (laughs) So that's Uh, Lee, Town, Douglas, and Horik, your new minions. Yes, and of course uh, the other, like the the UNT on Fenthas' faction. Okay. Uh, Affected creatures' speed is halved in the area. Yeah. Whenever they enter the area for the first time on a turn or start their turn there, make a wisdom saving throw and take damage. They fail, or half damage if they succeed. Okay. And in this tiny room, 15 feet will hit just about everybody. Except Rasmus Eve. At right this now, moment, yeah. yeah. Okay. And then also for a bonus action, I want Torek to survive long enough to do my bidding, so I'm going to cast Healing Word on him. Just five hit points back. Lucky for you guys, Fenthaza goes next. Her two Yonti minions are going to cast Eldritch Blast, targeting the other Yuanti. First one misses. Second one hits for some damage. And then Fenthaza herself, the Nightmare Speaker, is going to do two spells. First spell will be a Hex. You place a curse on a creature that you can see within range. Until the spell ends, you deal an extra 1d6 necrotic damage to the target whenever you hit it with an attack. Also, choose one ability when you cast the spell. The target has disadvantage on ability checks made with the chosen ability, so she chooses strength. You can see Rasnasi reel as this magical wound appears floating around his head, and then she waves her hand and an eldritch blast bursts from her fists. Just misses Rasnasi's head. Horik, it is your turn. You've just taken some big hits from this guy. Horik is fucking pissed. I bet. He's ready for revenge. But first, he's going to use his second wind. (laughs) (laughs) Seems like a good plan. Deep breath. (sighs) (sighs) So bonus actions, that means no two weapon fighting this turn. That's okay, because he's still got extra attacks. Yep. He regains seven hit points on his second wind. And then he's going to use Bob the Battle Axe for a disarming attack on oh, Sekalok. Shit. Good plan. Good plan yeah. indeed. That's a 14 to hit. That is not enough. Oh. You can see that his rippling muscles, his scaled skin, he's incredibly good at defending himself. Okay. He's going to try again because Hork gets a... You still get your extra attack. He gets an extra attack. 18 to hit. That hits. That hits. So this is going to be disarming attack. 12 damage. And then he has to succeed on a strength saving throw. Okay. And if he fails, then he drops his weapon. Fourteen. He fails. It's a DC 15. Nice. So his greatsword clatters to the ground, and there he is in front of you with bare hands. (laughs) Looking like an idiot. (laughs) This rage comes over his eyes. Can I pick it up? With a move action? I mean, I'm adjacent to him. And you haven't moved. I haven't moved. 
pick it up. Okay. You have a great sword. Great. How great is it? <laughs> Tell me about it. How great is it? It is a regular great sword. I believe it's a 2d6. You should just hurl it to the other side of the room or something. <laughs> yeah. Disarm that motherfucker. Yeah, I think your weapons are going to be better for you. But yeah. yeah, this is a two-handed weapon, so that's the main thing. You can hold it in one hand, but you can't attack with it in one hand. That was a good turn. Thank <laughs> you. Douglas. Douglas just sighs <laughs> for his move action. <laughs> for my magical action, I will go to an old standard and cast Grease under Rasmus C. Right in front of him, I splatter a bunch of Grease. Sweet. And they have to do deck saving throws. Okay. I'll start with the Malisons. Natural 20 for the first Malison. Oh, shit. Someone I wanted to fall. I was cocked. 12. They do not make it. Okay, so he is prone. Seculok, 14. Nope. He will use his... <laughs> He's having a hard day. Does he slip and fall on his sword? <laughs> <laughs> no, he already got picked up. He'll start to skate a little bit and then use his indomitable ability to re-roll the failed saving throw. Okay. And then fail harder. Nope. Uh-huh. 20. And then Rasnasi, 21. Oh, yeah. So one of our Malisons are prone. Okay. Lee, back to you. Okay. She's going to toss down her healing spirit. Just centered on her for now. She doesn't plan on staying in that square. Okay. Healing, a total of two. Okay. Big money. I want to hit Sekulok with my ensnaring strike. I want to pin him down. He seems a little scary. Okay. So I'm going to take a swing at him with my sword Mm -hmm. and attach the ensnaring strike to it. 18. That hits. Nice. He's going to make a strength saving throw. Uh, 14. He succeeds. Damn it. That's right. Do your damage. Nine damage. All right. Sure. I'll take a swing at YT. Okay. 15 to hit. That hits. And he'll take nine damage as well. So there's Lee in between Sekulok and another Yon-T. Both of them take a little bit of damage and you plop down a healing spirit in front of yourself. Rasmussi and his faction go next. Guardian spirits is at the start of wisdom saving throw uh, to not get bit by a bunch of spirit snakes. Sekulok makes a save. This is wisdom. Yeah, 14. That's going to fail. And then Yon-T, fail. Second Yon-T, succeed. So two of them will take damage. 11 damage or half on his successful saving throw. So I think Raz, seeing that you guys are all banding up against him <laughs> and seeing that you're all clumped up, yeah. is going to cast a fireball. This little bead of fire shoots out from his sword, slams into the ground right on top of crate, and you all make dexterity saving throws. 15 for Douglas. Six for Horik. 18 for Lee. And what did Town get? 15. That's 20. All right. All of you save except for Horik. Fenthaza fails. Oh, no. And this is going to be 10d6. Uh-oh. 32 damage if you failed your save. 16 if you succeed. Oh, okay. I heard that the other way. Crate <laughs> <laughs> raises up his shield and the little fireball bead hits the shield and the flames erupt in an explosion around him, but he has evasion with his shield, basically, so nice. no damage. Horik is knocked out. Uh-oh. Horik falls to the ground. Sekulok reaches down and picks up his sword <gasps> and will strike out at Lee. Oh, I'm so screwed, you guys. A crit. Oh, oh no. <laughs> oh, I'm going to die. Okay. Uh, a natural one and... A 19. Oh, jeez. 19 hit? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Just making sure. So this is the crit. 
25 slashing damage. I drop. Jeez. Another five damage. Last attack he won't take against you. Instead, he will make his saving throw against Grease. 11 against Grease. Does not. So he falls to the ground? Yeah. All right. (laughs) After killing my friends, (laughs) he comically slips on me. He is human. He slips on all the blood that just splattered at his feet. No Mm -hmm. kidding. That is Rasnacy's faction turn. Great goes next. I will do mass healing word. Oh, good. So five hit points for everybody, including my friends. Great is going to move up to the side of Horik there. You know, pull out his hammer and look Sekalok straight in the eyes. Yes, finally. I've been waiting so long for this. And it's going to whack him. All right. 16. Miss. He just rolls out of the way. Okay. Fenthaz's turn. Her Malisons will turn their focus to Sekalok because he definitely appears to be the most dangerous one here. Oh, shit. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Eldritch Blast. One hits for max damage. And the second attacks hit twice. Nine and twelve. Fantasia is going to. We'll see her power when she rains destruction upon your world. Okay, great. We did it. <laughs> you super love her. What a fanboy. I know, yeah, right? Totally. She's going to cast another spell right on top of where you have Grease the ground shifts with this illusion and it starts to become this dark gateway and you can see through the grease there's this swirling vortex of stars and this deep sense of dread emanates out from it like it's the home of every unknown horror you've ever imagined Mm. Told you she was awesome. (laughs) Centered on this point, and you hear from the void these soft whispers and slurping noises they are going to be making dexterity saving throws against the hunger of Hadar. So Rasmussi fails. Sekalog succeeds. First T fails. Second T fails. All taking some damage from the black vortex that's transmitting through the grease. Sweet. And you can see them start to wave their hands around and stumble, and the way that they're using their weapons, it's like they can't see. <laughs> Good. Horik's turn. Horik is going to take a big old swing with Bob the Battle Axe at Sekalak. You have advantage because he's blind. 19 hits. And he's going to use his lunging attack to do some extra damage. Sure. 10 damage. And then he's going to use the Boar Mace. That's 22 to hit. That hits. And that's 10 damage. He's hurting, that's for sure. Bonus action. He's going to swing with Bob the Battle Axe once more. Also 22 to hit. And that's 8 damage. That takes us to Douglas. Douglas, now enraged at his friends falling down. Stop falling over. (laughs) I died. (laughs) Don't lie down on the job. Falling over is for bad guys only. (laughs) I cast Snowball Swarm on the ground, so those three creatures. Rasnacy, Sekalok, and one of the Auntie Malsons. Correct. Need to make dexterity saving throws. Rasnacy fails. Nice. (laughs) What a goofball. (laughs) I told you, he's weak. Sekalok, 15. 15 is mine. Okay, so he meets it, he succeeds, and the Auntie Malison fails. Excellent, and I am actually casting this as a third level spell. Ooh, buffed up. Yeah, which means it gets an extra d6 in there. Okay. 14. The Auntie Malison 
dies. Yes! And SK is blind and prone. Blind, prone, greasy, snowed on. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, he's got a lot of things going on. <laughs> he's soggy. His muscles are pretty greased up. But at least he's got his sword. <laughs> at least he's got his sword. Lee, <laughs> it is your turn. Start of your turn, you still have your healing spirit. Yeah. yeah. So I'll take the healing from that. Three hit points. Lee gets behind Dougie. <laughs> and she'll knock an arrow and fire at Rasmussen. Okay. I'm going to use one of my coral poison tips. Uh, 18 to hit. That hits. 11 damage with six poison damage on top of that. Sure there is. Oh, he takes no poison. <laughs> uh, anything for town? I'm going to leave town. He's kind of out there by himself. So this is your extra attack? Yeah, extra okay. attack and another shot at him. 19 to hit. That hits. 13 damage on that one. 13. And I can move the healing spirit. Okay. So I'm going to move it on top of work. Noise. Now, it is Raznasi's turn again. He is now within range of my spirit guardians. Okay, so what does that mean for me? Rolls of a wisdom save. He's looking for a 14. Handily makes it. Okay, he takes half of 12. Next, he is in the Hunger of Hadar, so he's going to take some damage, as does his buddies. And then creature that ends its turn in the area must succeed on a dexterity saving throw or take 26 acid damage. And so, fall down. And fall down if he stays there. So he is going to move off to the back corner of the room. Looks like the closest threat to Rasnasi is a cougar. <gasps> so he, in his panic, is going to cast a spell and town needs to make a constitution saving throw. Nine. You see this wave of necromantic energy wash out from his hands and slam into town, draining moisture and vitality from him. Town is going to take 47 points of necrotic damage. Okay, town is perma-dead. Oh, no. Town is permanently dead. (laughs) Is this what you wanted? This is all I've wanted for the entire campaign. (laughs) That's so sad. Take that cat off the board. Fuck you. No, you. <laughs> Sekalok is going to stumble around and take 3d8 damage at the start of his turn. 3d8? Spirit Guardians. Which kind of save is it? Wisdom 14. 13. Takes 10. All right. He's going to attempt to back away from Horik. Attacks of opportunity. Attack his opportunity. Attack him. We're going to attack with Bob the Battleaxe. No. Natural 20. How do you do that so often? Yeah, that's because those dice are fucking... Just buy really expensive (laughs) dice, Jake. Yeah. Yeah, They obviously waited for you. I got a 19 anyway with my shitty non-expensive dice. So, Horek, go ahead, do your damage. (laughs) 18 damage. Crate, go ahead, do your damage. Five whomping in the back of the head. Just one of those hits would not have been enough. Because you both managed to strike him as he moved away from you, he is dead. And his body comically slips over. (laughs) It actually phases through the grease into the writhing, wriggling arms of the other dimensional plane. Oh, geez. That Penthaza has opened up. Okay. He he disappears. That is Sekalok's turn. The Yonti Malison, also blinded, also will attempt to get out of here. He takes that damage from your sneak thing. Spirit Guardians, yep. 16. Is quite a bit. And he ends up walking five foot. Now he's, instead of being in front of Crate, he's in front of Warwick. Blinded, he will attempt to strike out with his snake head. 
misses Horik, and then attempts to save against Greece. Mm-hmm. Succeeds. Attempts to save against the hunger of the guard. <laughs> not a good place to be standing. No. No, they're kind of fails. Takes damage from the hunger of Hadar, crushing him, smothering its acid goo all over him. Mm. Yeah, it's gross. Don't go in there. No. Crate, you're next. The mouse in front of me is blinded, so I can move without taking attacks. Yep. I'm still subject to your grease, though, I think, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so I'll go around. The floor just Whoa. be greasy, boy. Just enough distance, Crate gets right up to Rasmussen's face. He's still blinded? No, he's not within the space anymore. Okay, I'm going to inflict some wounds on him. Do it. Wisdom saving throw, please. 12. Nope, I won't do it. So I'm casting Inflict Wounds as a level 2. So it is 4d10 necrotic damage. Wowzers. 22 necrotic damage. And then I'm also going to use my channel Divinity, which yeah. is Touch of Death. When I hit with a melee attack, I can add another 15 necrotic damage. Wow. So 35 necrotic. You start to disintegrate his body and his writhing, thrashing mass, the pit viper body of Razna C thrashes against the wall, thrashes against you, falls to the ground, and his chest just begins to dissolve into black ash and he dies. I don't think you guys needed our help. (laughs) (laughs) You didn't do nothing. Crete lets out a bit of a battle cry after that. This is, again, what he's been waiting for for a long time. Fantaza as well, screams out in victory. Yes! And then as the battlefield settles and the last you on Team Allison is cut down, the brood guards have basically all died around you guys. Fantaza dispels the hunger of Hadar area of effect across the throne. Good. (laughs) (laughs) And gestures to you with clasped hands. Thank you. Thank you for bringing about a new age. (laughs) Whatever. (laughs) I know that together we will make this world a more beautiful place. Lee's going to go to town and just pick him up and walk out. Lee goes to pick up town's body and Fenthaza slithers her way over to the throne, takes her seat, and we'll see you in two weeks. The music in this episode was produced by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com and is licensed under Creative Commons by Attribution 3.0. Thank you, Ghost of Cranston. <laughs> <laughs>